0: What is going on, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of The Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I'm your host, Harry Pavin, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Herbert Fong. Herb is a summit delegate and a speaker for Jack.org. also a pianist, a photographer, and an ambassador for the Safe Social Program, which is an organization that investigates social media's impact on mental health and creates solutions to help people's well-being. Herb was a blast to have on, and I really want to thank him again for coming on and having this discussion with me. Now, before we get into the episode today, guys, you know the drill. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars if you're on that podcast platform. Share with someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one, and I can't wait for you to listen. I'll talk to you all very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. Are good to go. Herb, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: All right. Thank you. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I'm I'm a little tired. I won't I won't lie to you. I, I coach on the mornings on weekends. So early morning this this morning, but it's all good. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So where does your I want to go all the way back. So where does yeah. your story with mental health kind of begin?
1: So um just a little bit of an intro to myself. So um, I'm Herbert, I go by they, them pronouns, and I live in the unceded territories of the Coast Salish, Squamish, and the uh, and it's colonially known as Vancouver or the lower mainland. And so, um, yeah, my mental health journey begins pretty much pretty much in my entire life. It's a little bit of a tough one. Um, just before we go into the details, just a trigger warning that there will be a brief mention about suicide and also about mental illness and the stress as well. So um, if that is something that makes you uncomfortable, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to a resource. Yeah, so um, I was, well, um, this is, this is, this is a bit of a long story it's really really hard to compress but um
0: we don't need to compress it take all the time you need (laughs) take all the time but
1: yeah but um i was born in a pretty pretty tough family pretty rough family i would say um uh, my i mean my mom is okay but i had a really really abusive father um who i call as former biological father because Mm -hmm. um He's not something that makes me comfortable. And so um, that's how I'm going to refer him to now. on. My mental health story basically breaks down into four main parts, four main layers that sort of like combine together into one sort of like really, really big piece together. But um, first of all, um, there's uh, there's family issues. There's also education, there's politics, and there are, Other external factors like the pandemic for instance. Mm -hmm. So um, a little bit of a background about me. Um, I was born in a place that no longer exists. It was a British territory until 1997 and and the Cantonese name of that place is called Hong Kong. And so um, I was born two years before um, Britain under very questionable circumstances turned it back to China. Pretty tough place to live in actually even back then because um I I went to kindergarten Garden um until I immigrated to Canada which is about from my from when I was born until 2001 so um that was a very unsupportive school so it obviously affected my mental health a lot and then when I came here I first lived in Toronto and I went to several different elementary schools up to, until grade six and um and there was obviously a lot of really really controversial stuff in there a lot of bullying um a lot of questionable teachers who really affected my mental well-being and um the the toughness of like elementary school that didn't really end until the last part of grade six when we went on a really good Grad trip to Stratford, Ontario to see a musical. Um, that was a really nice one. One of wanted to backtrack a little bit. Um, I first learned about I first learned music and piano in elementary school, and I was about grade three, and um, that progressed pretty well. Um, had some had some pretty good piano teachers. Had some not so good, but the last one I had before university was really good. And so, um, you know, uh. The my years in high school were pretty good, and um, actually next month it's approaching my tenth anniversary of my Mm -hmm. high school trip to Greece and Italy. We did in grade eleven, so um, that was a really good one, and um, it was so enjoyable. And um, and then afterwards, um, I started to apply for universities, which is a pretty Pretty standard process for most of us um, for music we had to do an audition of a few pieces and a few a little bit of maybe sight reading stuff um, less of the technical stuff i would say but um auditions went really well um, i first studied in the university of ottawa we uh we had a really good we had pretty good professors most of the way my my piano professor was really good but um about a week into the school year, into the, into my first year of university in 2013, September, um, my professor said that he accepted a new position in McGill University and said that if I wanted to come along, I can always apply. And so, um, and so we had a little bit of discussion about that and I chose to apply to there. Towards the middle of 2014, um, my mom's mother started developing some kind of illness, and um, afterwards, um, just before, just before um, I started my first year at McGill, um, she passed away, and so this is where this is where I would mention the trigger warning again because um, of because of how unsupportive my family was towards my grief. They didn't really, um, they didn't really hold space for me to grieve. Um, I was feeling very difficult and lonely, and um, I um, and then a few weeks after her death, I I, I tried to take my own life, and so, and I didn't really reach out to anyone. Um, I had one friend in school who, I um, I reached out, but it was only very brief that we talked together, and um, we and I didn't know anything about suicide prevention resources. So I sort of like kept it to myself and this bottled up to being really, really bad and um, really, really just, just really horrendous, you know, um, it prevented any academic progress, um, mm-hmm. I had to repeat most of the courses in the first year. And so, and so um, it's, it was just too tough. It was just too tough for me to handle. How how her death really affected me is that um, financially it was also a factor because um, the place that she lived in um, uh, no longer had universal health care, so everything was based on the American system. So uh, we had to pay for ourselves, even if there's insurance. Um, Fortunately, insurance did cover a bit of it. The lack of space for grief is just really bad. Yeah. So anyway, moving on, um, the first year at McGill, very little to no academic progress. Um, I basically just slept through it without doing anything. And then afterwards I um, I started to find random methods to heal, one of which was to travel around the world. I first traveled to a few pa- a few places. I went to visit my family again in Hong Kong, which, which really helped. And um, afterwards, the second year was a little bit better. It was the fourth year that's um, just before the fourth year that I went on an even more extensive trip. Um, went to New Zealand for the first time. So that was really nice. And um, that really helped me heal a bit more. So And then afterwards, um, I was still very much in the mood of that trip to New Zealand. So at the end of 2017, I wanted to do something a little bit on a different dimension. So I applied for a leadership summit that's called the Phoenix Leadership Conference. And so that would be taking place in May, 2018 of which I was accepted. And that that I joined the four-day leadership camp, in Muskoka, Ontario, which was really nice and, um, met a lot of good friends, but like, um, like I also learned a lot of leadership facilitation skills, which I did not learn in university at all. A lot of life skills I did not learn in university. And so I met a lot of good friends, but the most important part was that when we were divided into smaller group sessions, uh, there was one that was taking place in the evening and on the third day. And, um, I, I suddenly found myself speaking really, really openly without, I, don't, I didn't feel any judgment from the other people and the other people in the group were really, really supportive and, um, and really boosted my confidence in speaking with other people. And that was really cool. And so, and at, at, actually um, from that camp, um, I met a friend um, who later posted online about how she is very proud of working with an organization called Jack.org. So um, that was how I discovered Jack.org. And so at the, at the time, I didn't really know too much about it. Obviously, it was very new to me, but their really professional visuals and video editing kind of intimidated me a little bit into thinking that you need to be really really high qualification to sort of like get involved in it but um but yeah more on that later on but um i graduated my bachelor's degree in 2018 um which um which had a bit of sigh of relief but um uh, and then the masters program i made a mistake for not applying to more places and so I tried my first year of master's at McGill, but um, it really didn't work out. And so I and so I uh, asked the school administration to see if uh, how can a leave of absence be obtained. So I shut off my mind from school and I went on another trip overseas, more of a more of an more of a round the world trip, visiting um, a few places in Europe. Um, the UK and Finland, first instance, and also Estonia. I really love these places. And also went onwards to Asia a little bit to visit family in Hong Kong again. And then afterwards um, went over to New Zealand the second time for a few more weeks longer than the last time, which was really nice. And so it was actually there that um, I made the decision that I really need to take a break no matter what they say and I and I went back to my school and say that um, if you're not going to give me a leave of absence I'm gonna leave permanently and so um, that's what I did after I left I felt more free. Um, it was it was one of the best decisions I've ever taken because I found the school environment more and more, confusing and, um, more, um, sort of like more unsupportive, but, um, afterwards I sort of like took up a few different positions. Um, I applied for being a Jack talk speaker first time, which I had so much fun in the training and, uh, and then afterwards, I also did a few, a little bit of volunteering with Camp Outlook, which is a, an outdoors organization in Kingston, Ontario that provides outdoor trips to uh, people who are uh, going through difficulties or being disadvantaged, if I would say, but that was very fun. We ran a few trips into the nearby uh, Nat Provincial Park, lots of campsites there, very nice. And, um, good experience and then afterwards in uh, february i delivered my first track talks at the toronto high school and uh and then my second talk followed actually the next day and so both of these talks were very very engaging very fun my first time doing public speaking in such capacity and it was so exciting to speak in and auditorium with a uh, thousand students each time afterwards i went on what would be my last overseas vacation um, earlier in march i went to london just to just to have a little bit of fun for myself just for some architecture photography a little bit of like a little bit of a mental health break from the craziness things that are happening at home but at the same time the pandemic was brewing um, Italy was starting to get a bit worse during my last week in London. and So I came back to Toronto and in March, in the mid of March and um, shortly afterwards, I got really sick to the point where I was bedridden for a few days. I never had this before, but, and even though I never got tested, I, um, I was very confident I got the first, the first version of the COVID virus. And so that was pretty terrifying. But um, at the same time, this was where the bulk of my most recent mental health troubles began. So obviously the pandemic um, gave me so many troubles. It uh, first of all, it canceled the 2020 National Jack Summit, which I was supposed to go, which is super disappointing. And I I also find the lack of mental health conversations among uh, policy makers to be really really concerning like there's so much talk about lockdowns and quarantine but so little talk about mental health and how this affects mental health negatively which I find so infuriating mm. and so this was a main point of conversation in the virtual Jack summit which is held later in May and so um, we were still in the we were starting the process of getting rid the my apartment in Montreal, and then, and uh, we were, we were sort of like, we were just pretty much um, in the beginning of process of the process of ending the lease, which is a very difficult process in Quebec, like much more difficult in the rest of Canada. So, uh, we had the national Jack summit virtually, but um, it was in uh, June of twenty twenty that things really started to get downhill. Um, First of all, the murder of George Floyd happened, and um, things got really confusing for me. and um, And um, I was noticing that very close to home in Montreal, a far right movement was starting to grow. And so, and so, um, I was part of a few anti-racist Facebook groups, uh, both locally and uh, in and in. Another place as well, um, but um, that group was hacked by the uh, far right group that was um, that w- that really just wanted to look for more trouble, and so they impersonated a lot of people, including me, and wrote hateful messages, and um, and that really took that really took me down, really, like mentally, like I was just. I completely collapsed and um and then um i had to delete facebook permanently and uh, tell all my friends that all of this was happening i knew, already knew that cancel culture was happening to other people but this was getting real um this was just really really bad so um i spent the next month hiding in my apartment Uh, afterwards. I just didn't know what to do. Um, uh, like Montreal is famous for having very little mental health resources, like even fewer than some small towns in Northern Canada, because mostly because of the politics there. And so, and so I didn't really get the help I needed. And so the rest of 2020 was spent in agony, almost pretty much nothing done. And then, uh, 2021, the beginning of that year, um, uh, I witnessed the provincial governments there really using a pa- the pandemic as an as, as an excuse to um, commit assaults on human rights by implementing a curfew, which obviously science says that absolutely doesn't work. Mm. And so cases st- rose very exponentially, even though there was a curfew. And so I immediately sprung into action and, um, and really started the process of moving in March of that year in 2021, I went on a brief trip to Vancouver for a month just to really get my mental health back together again. Um, I stayed here for a month and then I went back to help my mom, uh, get our, our furniture together to move out. And so this is how my abusive father really plays into role. So um, he, first of all, he is a very abusive person. Um, I try to stay away from him for as long as possible. And so, and so um, but we really needed his help to find an apartment in Toronto, but he um, was extremely unhelpful. And as he later, as we later found out, we basically, we basically found out that he was in a relationship with some very abusive person. And um, that very abusive person uh, really sort of like convinced him to separate from our family. And so that was very traumatizing. Um, He was also very financially abusive. He was like, he, pre- he pretty much took away all of our all of my will to live basically and so um, and so uh, with the help of a few friends um, we um, we found an apartment in Vancouver which which as, which is as far away from him as possible and so he was getting abusive to a point where um, where um, he actually, because um, he, because we set a very firm boundary that he is not welcome to our home, he actually called the police, which instantly became even more sketchy, and um, and so I, and so we were we were terrified. But my mom was able to negotiate with that officer, who luckily was very nice, and um, this could have gone very wrong, considering all the things that had us as happened with policing, but uh, he was able to convince that she. My mom was able to convince to them that uh, that my f- former biological father he was wrong in this and that he needed to leave immediately, and uh, or else face arrest. Very soon after that, in July, uh, we threw out everything, just only kept our essentials and moved on to Vancouver, and then there my journey to recovery started, and so. And so afterwards, in August of 2021, my first major part in my road road to healing from that hell began as I went on a 14-day trip with Outward Bound Canada to the northern part of Vancouver Island. We went on a 14-day kayaking trip, which was very fun, and um, got to share a lot of my stories with the other people and the facilitators on that trip as well. So that really helped. And uh, and then also the same month I started therapy uh, in person, which was very helpful. And uh, my therapist showed more empathy than my parents in one hour than my parents had did in my whole life. And so very helpful person, very um, thoughtful person who I owe a great deal of gratitude with. And then afterwards, I got my pianos moved here. Um, I had them started in Toronto, but um, got them moved here and I am ready to start teaching very soon. So um, yeah, let's go on to a little bit of my music teaching. Um, First of all, um, my main part of of my music teaching is a focus on mental health because with all my previous piano teachers, as late as 2019, there was, virtually no focus on mental health. And so the lessons made it feel very stressful. And I felt a sense of rushing to completion to certain goals and tasks and a very strong sense of perfectionism. And so that really impacted my mental health. So a mental health focus is really important music and that's it. And that is something that will really help the students. So first of all, obviously checking in how they're doing, um, uh, what are their goals in music, and how, and how do they feel that mental health affects them? And um, and then like, and then the second part of my music teaching is um, is sort of like sort of like going back into principles, sort of like going back to basics a little bit. Um, a lot of people sort of work very hard on different pieces very differently, but I found that a lot of the pitfalls with a lot of people who um, learn music is that um, they spend so much effort on a few select few pieces of music that they don't really know how to play other things. And so this is where the set of principles come in. And so principles is basically defined as a set of fixed techniques that multiple composers employ that or that can be pre- practiced with standardized methods, and that they can be adopted to multiple different pieces. So, in classical music, there is something called the common practice period, in which it takes place about uh, 1600 to 1900, and so that is the period where most composers use the key system. So, um, so the twelve major and minor keys, the made the chord progressions and the common forms of music such as sonata forms, symphonies, concertos, um, that kind of thing. So the the basic principles of classical music can be adopted to multiple pieces because multiple composers use them. And so that is something that is, that can be kept in mind and also can be strengthened by um, Practicing scales, arpeggios, sight reading, and other technique, and um, and yeah, and obviously the goals in music is very important. If ask them if they wanted to have fun, or if they wanted to pursue a performance career, or something in uh, music university, if they wanted to go into something specialized like musicology or music therapy, that is something that they that. I can encourage them to look forward to, you know, preparing them for auditions. That's another thing, and for competitions as well. And so that is basically the framework of my piano teaching. And and um, I'm really looking forward to all of that. Like, and this and Jack Talks is really, really fundamental to what I do. Um, I will be delivering my first Jack Talk in two years. Um, next month virtually with a local high school list of Vancouver. And so um, that would be really nice. And that would um, help my s- public speaking skills which for a long time has suffered until um, I discovered something called stuttering which um, if I have like, since I've watched a part of the inauguration speech of Joe Biden last year I read his uh, biography and uh, he, it was mentioned that he's experienced that stuttering in his teenage years that um, that he mitigated by practicing different speeches or different things in front of a mirror or in front of a friend. And so looking about that, that's really matched what I was experiencing and so I did something similar. I also started off journaling. I've been journaling for since July every day, and so that really helped. And by writing it all down, that helped my speech patterns very significantly. Um, before that, before I discovered stuttering, I would often speak with stutter with uh, like stuttering words or filler words, if I, as I call it, like ums and ahs or stopping or mm-hmm. repeating the same word two or three times and repeating even the same sentence, but now um, I feel a bit more calmer and I don't really do that anymore. So that's a really nice achievement I have. To cap it off, um, finding support for suicide prevention is really important. Talking about is really important as well. Setting boundaries is very important and setting and like uh dumping a really abusive parents is the most significant victory i had. um third of all self-care methods really important journaling as i mentioned and also therapy which um which really helped
0: yeah that's awesome awesome what a what a story herb um yeah one question i had for you because you know you mentioned that when you were trying to open up about your suicidal ideation and your mental health issues Uh, you didn't really have a space for it in your family. And going from that to where you are today, where you're about to be a Jack Talk speaker, you've joined all these organizations, you've been very open about your mental health journey. Has there ever been that discussion with your family since that point?
1: Um, A little bit more, but most of it has involved people outside. So um, there's one time in uh, August 2019 where I went to my first Jack.org related events, it was called the Moto Social Camp, and we camped two nights to raise money together, along with the organization called the Moto Social. And so over there, I met Eric Windler and Sandra Hannington the first time they were the founders of Champ.org, who who their son Jack uh, died by suicide in Queen's University in 2010, so that motivated them to start the organization. And so, uh, and so they were the first people that I opened up with and because they had a very similar experience that I, as I had, um, I felt very calm. Actually, I felt I like, because we were all very like-minded, I didn't feel judged at all. So I opened up to them and then I, and then I opened up to other friends as well. And it eventually became this mental health conversation. And eventually this this led to me looking for therapy, which I could continue this conversation with more specialized people, like people who are more knowledge in this topic, because um, my friends, even though a lot of them are mental health advocates, they're not necessarily trained therapists or professionals. So it's a really good idea to leave it to the professionals to do it. Mm
0: Yeah. What, what was your first experience with therapy like?
1: So I first had therapy in late July, 2021. So it was in person. So um, uh, unlike a lot of other people, I didn't go into consulting beforehand, you know, a lot of therapists offered that, but I just had this level of trust already. And so I just found my nearest service um, to go into therapy and met this wonderful therapist who is so compassionate from from the moment we met the first time and um, very nice experiences, lots of deep conversations. We talked about narrative therapy, how we sort of like notice different things, but not to sit on it, not to emotionally connect on it. By noticing it, it can be more helpful to solve different problems in life. -hmm. And that was the main part of therapy. There were so many other things, but a lot of it was storytelling. Actually, my story was so extensive that I had to spread it out over two different sessions. But uh, my main take with different therapy services is that it needs to be made more it needs to be made more affordable, and um, uh, there needs to be more funding into public. Uh, mental health services. That a lot of work needs to be done in reducing the wait times. A lot of things needs to be done with accessibility and um, reducing the stigma that uh, certain societies and communities have here, and um, and also more culturally relevant uh, services. For instance, people who are con- who are from a certain place can have different mental health concerns. So for instance, uh, my family lives in a place where political oppression is, uh, is an everyday occurrence. So um, that needs to be, there needs to be specific therapy services with that as well.
0: How do you think um, like the everyday person, how do you think they can help eliminate any stigma that comes with you know going to therapy or asking for help or talking about mental health?
1: Um, there needs to be more conversation. Um, conversation can, um, can help a lot, you know, um, I think posting social media content on how to take care on your mental health is real. Is a really good start. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that last year. I actually compressed the contents of the Jack talk into, uh, six different posts regarding every different part. So, um, Jack talks, we talk about uh, a background of mental health, sort of like a mental health 101. What is mental health? Uh, do we know how to take care of a mental health? How can we identify uh, mental illnesses? What are they? That kind of thing. And then a little bit of storytelling from each of the two speakers and um, how to be there for ourselves and how to be there for others. So that's the main part of the uh, conversation. So. That leads to be there.org, which is a self help mental health resource from jack.org. Go check it out. Very awesome. And then afterwards, um, calls to action. How can we bring this into the community? How can we uh, start the communications and conversations, um, even if it is a in a society with a lot of stigma? By sharing this a lot, sharing this widely it will help it will help reduce the stigma it will be it's a very gradual process but i think the progress that we've made i think we did a really good job already
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely my uh my last question on the topic of be there.org you know with everything going on like you mentioned there's there's a war going on with ukraine There's the pandemic, there's, you know, the George Floyd incident that didn't happen that long ago at all. There's, there's so many things. And with the rise of social media, you're exposed to all of it, right? This is a whole different kind of generation where we're exposed to everything. So, you know, if you were to put yourself back in your shoes from when you were going through all, all of your mental health challenges and you didn't get any of the resources that you required. What do you think would be the best way for people from the outside looking in? What do you think the best way for them to approach, trying to help their friends who may be struggling right now, is? Um, I
1: think that's a really tough conversation to begin. Like, if you don't have anything to start, it's basically impossible to start. Mm-hmm. As I as far as I remember, but um, I think maybe maybe if I were to, if I were back in school, I would probably talk to school staff about it even if they don't know about mental health they probably have a better networking than I do and so they might be able to find different supports for me and that like that would be a really good thing and speaking with social media um, this is one more thing that I want to mention is that um, I am currently coming out of an addictive social media use like I've had I was addicted to social media for so many years but now I'm on I'm well on the road to recovery and so and so I wanted to introduce I know I'm doing a lot of advertising lately um, there's also a bit of noise in the background but I wanted to introduce the organization called save social Media.co. and so it's an organization founded by Bailey Parnell, who is a TED Talk speaker, who did TED Talks two times, and so Safe Social, as an ambassador for them, we educate about safe social media use that is in a uh, educational and fun way. So we educate them by um, by a few a few steps to safe Social. So um, uh, first of all, we moderate our our social media usage. Second of all, we audit our safe, our social media use. First of all, build offline soft skills. Uh, fourth and fifth, basically, um, basically goes with educating on the mental health, well, not just mental health, basically uh, sort of like reflecting on how it affects mental health. And so um, with safe social. Uh, we talk about uh, Media literacy. We talk a lot about misinformation and disinformation. We talk about uh, we talk about cyberbullying. Uh, we also talk about cancel culture, which I which I advocate so strongly for its elimination. And so with Safe Social, it has helped me uh, recover out of an addictive social media habit. So as I said. Earlier on, getting rid of Facebook permanently was the best thing that I did for my own peace, for myself, but um, also with my recovery of social media, um, I treated my social media use um, as if it was substance use. You know, the addiction feels quite similar. It's very attractive at first, but it then it, can, it becomes downhill so, so quickly and Eventually, I found resources to recover from it, and um, it differs from substance use in a way that, um, that because substance use, like uh, street drugs, like cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, that kind of thing, those things have been around for a while now, so we have some knowledge on it. But social media is so new mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't really know how to react, we don't know if the very existence of social media is a right or wrong. I mean, there could be benefits, but it really needs to be moderated very tightly. And so learning the the similarity between social media and substance use, that really helped. And because people in substance use, that recovery is possible with the right resources. I believe in myself that recovery from social media addiction is possible the right resources. And um, I feel that a lot of progress has really, I've had a lot of progress in that. And so um, understanding how social media affects mental health is so important. And I think this, along with some basic mental health education, is it should be a mandatory part in schools. And speaking of high schools, um, when I graduated from mine in 2013, my high school Back then, um, basically there were no conversations about mental health. There was a little bit, but very little. And um, but when I went to another high school in 2020 to give my first talk, the big difference between this school and my high school back then is that um, is that there were a lot of posters and billboards everywhere talking about mental health. You know taking care about your mental health and posting resources on the, on the main hallway and in front of the main office. So I think that is brilliant. Like that is such a brilliant change that has already happened. And I'm really glad to see the, the change that has finally occurred.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of positive change going on because same thing for me when I was in high school, nobody talked about it and it was yeah. viewed in such a negative limelight. So for people who, you know, Want to know more about you or the any of the things that you mentioned today, like jack.org be there, the stuttering program, any of it. Like where can they find you and all that stuff?
1: So um I go on Instagram as naturally. So um that will be in the text description. And um and then jack.org, simple as that. That's the website. So is be there.org. That is also the website. And so from there you can find all of their respective social social media profiles regarding stuttering um that is not a program although there are organizations about that you can go look it up but um that i basically um solved my own stuttering with self-care journaling and more conversations with other people and i think that really paid off mm. so
0: yeah awesome all right and i'll put those links down below herb thank you so much for joining me today yeah thanks so much uh have a
1: good day wherever
0: you are and see you that's right and to all my listeners i will see you guys next time